This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are going to take a look this week backward at an interview we did in 05. That was with author Brian Burroughs whose book, Public Enemies, is now on the silver screen, or at least part of it is. Mr. Burroughs' book, in some detail, uh, went into the battle between uh, the FBI and various crime figures like John Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde and Babyface Nelson in the early 30s. A lot of this was PR, and a lot of it was a way to sell more newspapers, but, uh, but back in the 1930s, these people were seen as modern-day Robin Hoods to a lot of the American population. The current movie, out on the silver screen, uh, focuses only on one of the characters, John Dillinger, as played by Johnny Depp. As movies go, it, it ain't bad. Unfortunately, I don't, didn't think it was terribly true to the book and terribly true to history in many instances. We'll be joined to talk about the movie with uh, a friend of ours, Matthew Perry. Matt has taught a film class dealing with film noir, and a subset of that, of course, is uh, the, the uh, notorious gangster film. Perhaps the most famous early gangster film was Public Enemy, starring James Cagney and directed by William Wellman. Uh, we're, we're still going to bring you William Wellman Jr. in, uh, in the weeks to come. So I couldn't help, uh, help resist sticking that little plug in there. But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, gangsters, the 1930s, public relations, John Dillinger, and a whole lot more in our second segment today. That's going to be fun, so stay tuned for that. Let us begin our first segment, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, the date in question today being the 9th of July. It was on July 9th in the year 118 that Hadrian, Rome's new emperor, formally entered the city he was now going to rule. Hadrian was generally a vigorous and judicious ruler, but ruthless on the issue of Palestine, where he forbade Jews from entering Jerusalem. In fact, it was Hadrian's intention during his rule to basically re remove every brick from the city of Jerusalem and remake it as an entirely Roman place. Uh, one might argue that, unfortunately for posterity, Hadrian never didn't quite live long enough to achieve that goal, and 1,900 years later, we're still fighting over it. And when I say we, I mean, uh, I, I guess I do mean we. Since, uh, thanks to American support... Uh, the obvious two-state solution to the problems in Palestine uh, has been slow in coming. Of course, we have high hopes for the Obama administration being able to push things in that direction. Better late than never. On July 9th in the year 1846, shortly after the Mexican War began, U.S. Captain John Montgomery sailed his warship into the bay just off the village of Yerba Buena. Meeting no resistance, he raised the American flag in the central plaza. The following year, the Americans renamed the village, giving it the name we still know it today by San Francisco. Here's one I like. On July 9th in 1872, New England sea captain John Blondell patented the donut cutter. His invention became a favorite among bakers because of the efficiency and speed with which it could give the dough its typical ring shape known to mathematicians as a torus. 
On this date in 1922, American swimmer Johnny Weissemiller was the first person to swim the 100-meter freestyle in less than one minute. Weissemiller ultimately won five Olympic gold medals and set 51 world records. He's best known to posterity as Hollywood's Tarzan. Weissemiller was actually not quite as good an actor as he was a swimmer, but then with lines like, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, he admittedly didn't have the best material to work with. And on this date in 1941, during World War II, British cryptologists broke the secret German Enigma code. Enigma was the Germans' most sophisticated coding machine. Originally employed for business purposes, the German army adapted the machine and considered its encoding system unbreakable. The ability to read German communications during World War II gave the Allies a tremendous advantage. Our quote of the day comes from President Barack Obama. The president recently spoke in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and it was noted that a young girl, Kennedy Corpus, age 10, had skipped school to attend the event. Informed of the situation, Obama gave her a handwritten note saying, To Kennedy's teacher, please excuse Kennedy's absence. She's with me, Barack Obama. It's hard not to like that guy. Our quip of the day comes from Goldman Sachs which, according to Inside Mortgage Finance, apologized last week for participating in the, quote, market euphoria, unquote, that triggered our current financial crisis. Noted the magazine, its participation included underwriting $29 billion in securities backed by subprime mortgages in 2006, which was 7% of the entire subprime market. Our stat of the day also involves an Obama, in this case, Michelle. It turned out that last May's commencement ceremony at UC Merced, which uh, featured a keynote address by the First Lady, well, the, the bill's been totaled, and it came to $1,047,000. Ouch. Of course, when it comes to stats, uh, which we'd like to include a little bit of in every program, I was amused by the article in the Sacramento Bee by David Lightman, writing for McClatchy.com, noting that the answer you get in the poll depends on how you ask the question, which is kind of a duh. But it is something to keep in mind. The article noted that if you ask people, do you want big government? You get one answer. But if you say, should the government have more control over the excesses of the marketplace? You get quite another one. Our joke of the day is the fact that down Mexico way, it appears that the PRI, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, which used to rule Mexico, is making a big comeback politically. And folks, if that isn't a joke, I don't know what is. Let's do a quick The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It was a good week, a couple weeks back, for zero-tolerance policies. When it was revealed that down in McKinney, Texas, a man arrested for allegedly failing to appear for jury duty got released after spending 83 days in jail. Apparently, Douglas Malfin was released a day after the Dallas Morning News brought his plight to the attention of a Collin County judge. Malpin, a masonry contractor, got arrested February 15th after police pulled him over for speeding. They then detained him on a 2003 warrant 
for failure to appear for jury duty. District Judge William Odner said he was unaware of Malpin's detention until a couple days before, even though the case had been assigned to his court. Said the judge he should not have spent that much time. This is unacceptable. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last month, I guess the last week of last month, for Russian gambling addicts. When the Russian government uh, made good on its uh, demand that... uh, that basically all of the casinos in the country shut down. Yes, apparently Prime Minister Vladimir Putin announced the government was shutting down every last legal casino and slot machine parlor across the land under an anti-vice program. The Russian gambling industry says the ban will leave more than 400,000 people without work. That's in a time when Russia's been hit hard by the economic downturn. Yeah, like like casinos are going to help get the economy back on track. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, studies have shown that uh, casinos do not help the overall economy. They they may help the local economy if you can import gamblers from elsewhere and then send them back home broke, which is pretty much the basis for the state of Nevada, I believe. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for dumbbells, (laughs) stupid enough to believe, financial advisors. In this case, the advisor was Brandeis University economist Catherine Grady. Apparently, the good doctor, after making a study of Stradivarius violins, concluded they're an excellent investment. She determined that uh, since 1850, the value of professional quality violins has increased by an average of 3% per year after inflation. That's a very stable return. Of course, there is a hitch to all this. Violins made by the Italian masters command seven-figure price tags to begin with. And noted the article in Time magazine, they aren't easy to acquire. And the further bad news, according to the people looking into this, don't bother investing in a no-name violin. Sales of mid-level violins, described as those valued at under $100,000, have weakened like nearly everything else in the recession. All right, let's do a miscellaneous roundup of items. Um, We talked about... The book Collapse by Jared Diamond on this program a couple years back. The premise of the book is that when uh, societies run themselves out of resources, their economies collapse. And uh, recent evidence based on studying the Mayan temples at Tikal in Guatemala appear to support Dr. Diamond's hypothesis. Studying temple construction, they noted that uh, the first wave of temples built in the 8th century used only large straight logs of the sapodilla tree, a very strong wood. After that date, the large sapodilla logs were almost entirely replaced in temple construction by logwood, a smaller, gnarly tree that's almost impossible to carve. Said researcher David Lentz, it's definitely an inferior material. This backs up earlier studies of the area on pollen deposits that suggested that deforestation and soil erosion were increasing in the region as the civilization of the Maya neared its collapse. But this study of the temple timbers at Tikal, the first to show that ecological overexploitation directly affected the Mayan culture. Here's an item I liked uh, from last week. Apparently down in Elk Grove... Uh, People working for the State Department of Forestry and Fire Protection were monitoring the internet for illegal firework sales. Article by Sarah Fryer in, uh, in SACB.com noted that a department spokesman uh, for this agency said that um, 
It's not enough anymore to patrol state lines for the likes of Roman candles and bottle rockets. The state fire marshal has started patrolling the web, too. Adding, we're just very acutely aware of the potential it has to impact the use of illegal fireworks in our state. These are the type of fireworks that blow fingers off, blow hands off, cause blindness. Meanwhile, over at the Folsom Rodeo, apparently a uh, stray fireworks shell blasted into the audience and caused first-degree burns on six people. No, we don't, have any, we don't have any data on how many people got themselves burned over the 4th of July holiday by touching barbecue grills or the manifolds of motor scooters. But, you know, when we have uh, murderers and rapists and burglars and general, you know, bad guys out there operating in society, it, it just seems to us in this program that that would be a better place to devote policing-type resources rather than, like, cherry bombs and firecrackers. But that's just one man's opinion, and like all the others heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And for the record, I like bottle rockets and firecrackers, and believe that used carefully they can bring much enjoyment without too much hazard. If you feel differently about that, why don't you sound off by dropping us a note at info at radioparallax. Dot com. We don't want to talk too much about Michael Jackson on the program. Uh, he's, he's all over the news. In, in the meantime, Robert McNamara passes away, which is something we may talk about in our third segment today. And that, that makes Paige like A7. But I did state on last week's program, I thought a lot of Michael Jackson's problems had to do with the fact that no one would tell him no. Well, it's, it's come out now that uh, among his possessions uh, were was the drug Diprovan, an anesthetic widely used in operating rooms to induce unconsciousness, which Jackson was requesting from someone so he could get some sleep. I'm hearing stories that he wanted an anesthesiologist to basically shoot him up and stay at bedside to make sure he kept breathing. Apparently a registered nurse who had been working with Jackson pleaded with him not to go out and get that medicine because it was so unsafe, but uh, someone wasn't able to tell Michael no. I think that's about all we'll say about that. should talk about a little bit about the fact that our president is in Russia trying to patch things up with uh, the r- alleged Russian president, Dmitry, Dmitry Medvedev. I guess we should talk a little bit on this program about the fact that uh, President Obama is in Russia, speaking both with President Dmitry Medvedev and Prime Minister Vladimir Putin, believed by, I think, everyone over the age of 12 to be the actual ruler of Russia. And uh, we want to give the president an attaboy on his efforts to reduce nuclear tensions and reduce the stockpile of uh, obsolete, crazy, insane weapons both sides have pointed at one another. I did note in one of the obituaries I heard in the radio relating to Robert McNamara how McNamara realized that nuclear weapons were basically not usable because of their severe destructive nature. That was no doubt true when he was Secretary of Defense and his without a doubt still true, four decades later. So why are we still pointing these things at one another? Wish the president and, uh, and the Russians uh, the best in seeing what we can do to get rid of some of these things. In fact, uh, the two presidents, Medvedev and Obama, signed an agreement that sets a new limit of 1,675 warheads. According to the AP graphic of the Sacramento Bee, Russia's got uh, almost 2,800 warheads, and we've got uh, 2,200 warheads. 
with France coming in third with 300, China now in fourth at 186, and Britain at 160. Be good to get rid of those five to, uh, to 500 to 1,000 uh, warheads on the respective nations' parts. This is a very good thing, despite what you heard from John Bolton, former ambassador to the United Nations and general jackass under President George W. Bush, who said that Obama was going too far, adding the number they're proposing for delivery vehicles is shockingly low. Being somewhat of a jackass, former Ambassador Bolton may be unaware of the fact that one nuclear submarine that we have patrolling the seas, and I believe we have at any given time at least 15, one American submarine has enough warheads on its missiles to take out every, every urban area in Russia with a population over 100,000. That's one sub, ignoring all of the land-based missiles and ignoring all of the bombs that we can put onto airplanes. One sub. So we'd have to say that we cannot agree that the number they're proposing for delivery vehicles is shockingly low. It ain't so. And you know what? We've gotten away from our Jackass of the Week award, and doggone it, I think John Bolton deserved it, so let's give it to him, shall we? Speaking of Russians, article in the Utney Reader about the fact that, uh, happy or not, Russians rarely smile in public. Article by Sonia Lyubomirsky, a psychologist at the University of California at Riverside and author of the book The How of Happiness, notes that, uh, well, when Americans visit Russia, they note that uh, the people there do look sullen. But studies have shown they're not that much more unhappy than Americans. They just look bad in public. But if you get uh, Russians in private, they're actually more animated and friendly than Americans in corresponding social circumstances. And I can tell you, I can vouch for this. And, and in, I would dispute Mr. McMillan's summary of that equation <laughs> with the phrase, one word, vodka. No, it's not just the vodka. <laughs> But this does give me a chance to interject one bit of um, public service announcement, I guess you could say. If you do find yourself in Russia, do not, under any circumstances, attempt to outdrink Russians. In fact, do not even make any attempt to keep up with Russians. If you do, you'll be sorry. Trust me on this one. Anyway, the little article in the Utney Reader is, is worth checking out. If you get a chance, uh, do so. And by the way, as we close this segment, we would definitely like to hear from you. If you are, A, anywhere in the path of the solar eclipse, which is taking place on the 22nd of this month, or you plan to travel to be somewhere on that path. We would very much like to have an eclipse correspondent, being that uh, yours truly is not going to make it, uh, make the trip personally. So anyway, yeah, uh, let, us, let us know if you're going to go or if you're going to be there. We, we'd like to get a firsthand report. Anyway, let's uh, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll come back and talk about uh, public enemies. 
Matt Perry will be joining us uh, after we talk to Brian Burroughs in the next segment. Don't go away. Don't go away.